So today we're going to once again be in the book of Romans. So let's turn to Romans, the second chapter. And we're going to read once again the first 11 verses. Romans 2, verses 1 through 11. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jews first, and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, let let your word speak. And Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray, Amen. Amen. Now throughout the book of Romans thus far, from chapter 1 to our reading today, Paul has been building the point to show that both Jews and Greek are all under the power of sin and that they will be without excuse at the judgment day if they do not receive the gift of God's righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul will continue this point through chapter 2 and through most of chapter 3. So we've still got a long way to go in the midst of this. Um, because uh, j- Just a little bit of chapter 3. Because such a point that was made in, in verse 9 of chapter 3. Let's read uh, 9 through 11. What then... Are we better than they? And this, let me pause there. This is, this is those Jews that are saying, we're not like the Gentiles. That's not us. That's them. That's them. We don't do those things. Besides that, we have the law. We are Jews. We are God's chosen. That doesn't, all this stuff, Paul doesn't apply to this. And Paul says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. So Paul makes it very clear, and he keeps making it clear, all under sin, all without excuse, And Paul is building the point that without Jesus Christ, all will stand guilty before God. Uh, Romans 3, verse 19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So the Jews had shown themselves, we talked about this last week, of to have despised the goodness, the tolerance, the long-suffering of God, and that they were indeed treasuring up, storing up for themselves wrath. And then Paul points out that both Jew and Greek will all stand in judgment before God, and that this judgment will be according to his deeds or according to his works. Now, actually, what Paul did was quote to the Jews scripture that pointed out that very thing. 
because they would have their objections. So what does Paul do? He quotes them scripture, the very scripture in which they boast and on which they rely and, and, and say that say that God will judge every man in this very way according to his deeds. Let's read in, in Psalms 62 verses 11 and 12. Psalm 62, 11 and 12, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. So what is Paul doing in Romans? He's quoting to those Jews the very scriptures that they say they hold dear to. And let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs 24, verse 12. Proverbs 24, verse 12. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not He, the Lord, who weighs the heart, consider it? He who keeps your soul, does He not know it? And will He, the Lord, not render to each one according to His deeds? So this is nothing new, is it, what Paul has said? This is nothing new. And the Jews should know it. They should know it. And last week, I I talked about taking a verse out of its context and turning it into a doctrinal statement or turning it into a, a promise for yourself. As people do that, Take a little sliver of a verse and claim it as a promise and hold the Lord to that little promise that they're clinging to. You understand what I'm talking about, don't you? And you take the verse and you make it say what it is not really meaning because you have taken it out of its, its context. And I love, I was reading uh, Lloyd-Jones and he said when you come to a a particular verse, and especially if it's a difficult verse, your best place to go is not to the Greek, not to the Hebrew, not to anything else, but to go to the context of the verse itself. Read before, read what is after, read what else the writer has said. And that is so true. Keep things in their proper context so that they will have the proper meaning. And here's another verse that people will take and have taken and still take out of context, Romans 2, verse 6. And let's just read again. Who will render to each one according to his deeds. Render, apodidomai, to deliver as a wage or debt, to recompense or to reward in a good or bad sense. And there are many, even yet today, well, there you go. There's a categorical statement that says judgment is according to deeds, to works. And so, some people will be justified by works after all. No, they won't. No, they won't. Keep the verse in its context. That is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He, He is building the case to say quite the opposite, isn't he? Paul brought this in. So that he could pull in Old Testament. Because we know what he's been saying from the very first in chapter 1. Let's put up verses 16 and 17. What had Paul been saying? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Those very words in the ears of a believing Jew. Of a Jew. Not a believing in Christ Jew. But of a Jew. Would burn in their ears would it not? When Paul would say, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first. Come on, Jews, you need it too, he's saying. And also for the Greek, for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, which would turn the Jews upside down again, wouldn't it? For in it, for in the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live By faith. Salvation comes to everyone who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is not saying that works can save a man, but I believe that he is making the case that works can condemn a man. 
And, and we're, we're going to keep going with this thought. So just bear with me there. Works will bear witness as to whether we are saved or not. It's an evidence. Our works will declare whether we are of the righteous or unrighteous group that Paul mentioned in our reading today. True salvation always leads to good works. Always. Always. So now, let's go to the book of James. Because we're going to camp out right here. Just on this thought and then we'll... Lord willing, we'll, we'll expound on other things next week. But I want us to continue with this very thing. True salvation always leads to good works. So in the book of James, let's go to chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 14 and read down through 26. I, I looked through my notes and I guess it was, I think it was like three years ago we went through the book of James and we were looking at this very portion of Scripture. James 2, 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's just put up verse 14 by itself. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? Now, the NASB, the ESV reads, can that faith save him? And perhaps an even clearer rendering would be, can that kind of faith save him? Someone who says they have faith, but they don't have works, can that kind of faith save him? And, and later, uh, James would say, faith without works is dead. And, and then we have perhaps an often controversial statement. Did I put verse 24 by itself? You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now here's where the same people would take Romans 2 verse 6. They would quote to you also James the second chapter, the first part of verse 24, wouldn't they? You see then that a man is justified by works. There you have it. Case closed. Wait, let's keep reading. And not by faith only. By faith only. And, and some even right now may be thinking, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I heard you say that we are saved through faith, by grace through faith. I've heard you say that. Yes, saved by grace alone, <laughs> through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, based on the authority of Holy Scripture alone. That's how we're saved. The Word of God, the Bible, can never contradict itself, can it? It can't at any point, because if it does, it fails to be truth. And then it fails to be the Word of God. So we must take the whole of Scripture. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself, that faith, the faith is not our own, that faith is a gift from God. He gave us faith so that we might believe. He granted us repentance so that we would confess and and, uh, repent and believe. Uh, Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, there is no salvation earned through the keeping of the law by doing deeds, by holding on to tradition. Because sinful man is utterly incapable of perfectly keeping the law. No one. No one except Christ alone. And we read earlier verse 19 uh, that said, Every mouth will be stopped, all will be made silent, no boasting of keeping the law because no one could, no one can, and all the world guilty before God. Let's go to Galatians, second chapter, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now, now Paul wrote Ephesians. He wrote Romans. He wrote Galatians. He's sending the same message out over and over to make sure that this message goes everywhere so that all might know Salvation is only by grace through faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. James just said that faith without works is dead. That a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And Paul says faith alone and Christ alone to which, you know what, James would say, Amen. He would. And then James would say, but but here, We need to know this, that that true saving faith is never alone. It will always be accompanied by good works. To which Paul would say, yes, amen, James. Because he wrote it in Ephesians 2 verse 10. I saved that verse for this place. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have to remember that Paul and James were fighting on two different battlefields. Paul is battling that attitude of works righteousness, dealing with this group of people who thought they could work their way into heaven by keeping the law, by keeping tradition. James, on the other hand, was dealing with people who had just come out of this system of works righteousness, and and these people had fallen in the ditch on the other side. They, They were the ones that were saying, well, if 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 we're saved by grace through faith and not by keeping the law, then we we don't need to do anything. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what we do or how we live. And many have this idea yet today, don't they? It doesn't matter how I live. I've been saved. I've believed. Oh, but what's your life? What's your life bear evidence of? I, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I don't need to worry about works. You know, Paul addressed this elsewhere. I didn't put the verses in there. Remember when he said, oh, so so just go and sin that grace may abound? Is that what you're saying? And, and he said, definitely not. Certainly not. You see, with Paul, he was dealing with works, righteous legalism, people trying to keep the list, little list of do's and don'ts. With James, he was dealing with what we would say easy believism, which is rampant in the church today. Say a little prayer, sign a card, take a class, go through baptism, and voila, you're in, and it doesn't matter how you live. Paul says we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. James says faith without works is dead, or in other words, faith without works is not a saving faith. In essence, that's what he's saying, isn't it? That faith without works is dead, so a faith without works is not a saving faith. Then James gives an illustration. James gives us illustrations 
by comparing faith without works to works of compassion without corresponding acts of compassion. First, he gives us this illustration of someone who says to someone who is cold and hungry and doesn't have anything, it says, says to them, be warm and be filled. What does that do? Does that do any good? Oh, just be warm and be filled. And the person is going, well, wow, I wish I'd have thought of that. What does it do? It does no good at all. None. So what good is that kind of faith that is all talk and no doing? It's worthless. It's worthless. 1 John 3, 17 through 19. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word Let us not love in word or in deed, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So what is John saying? What's an evidence that someone is of the truth, that they have true saving faith? They love, not just with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, good works. True saving faith will always be followed by good works, good deeds. Now, listen to this. Will the presence of good works always mean the presence of saving faith? No. No, it will not. Uh, I I believe that that Paul, there in the beginning of chapter 2 in Romans 2, was speaking to, and I I think I used the term, the moral pagan. Losses can be, but yet saying, well, I don't do all those things Paul talked about in chapter 1. That's not me. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I don't commit those sins. I do good things. I'm benevolent. I'm okay with God and He's okay with me. No. No, you're not. Without Christ, no, you're not. The presence of good deeds cannot be used to argue the presence of faith. It cannot. It cannot. Listen, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, that's the same group that Paul is exhorting, calling out in Romans chapter 1, 2, and the first part of chapter 3. They're judging others, well, that's not me, when they're practicing the same thing. That's exactly what Paul has been saying. The presence of good deeds cannot be used to argue the presence of faith. But, but now listen, the absence of good faith, of good deeds and good works may be used to argue the absence of faith. May. I believe that is Paul's argument in Romans 2. The unrighteous will have no righteous deeds, works. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is not a saving faith. Again, are we saved by works? No but we are saved for good works. We're not saved by good works. Let's go to Titus 3, verses 5 through 8. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. (laughs) Say, we're still listening? Look, uh, are good works to follow true saving faith? Yes. Look at verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm to uh, affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain what? Good works. These things are good and profitable to men. What is the evidence of having received true faith? Well, one of the evidences that it will be followed by good deeds, good works. That's one of the evidences that we know that we are His. 
of an unbelieving people that the Apostle Paul wrote this in Titus 1, verse 16. They profess to know God. Now listen, now look. But in works, they deny Him. They're, they're saying one thing, oh yes, oh yes. I, I believe, I believe, I, 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 yes. But in works, the evidence that we see They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. That's the people Paul is going after. James is saying the same thing when he states that faith without works is dead and that you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, let's go to the illustration of the two people that James mentions. Uh, First, let's look at Abraham. Uh, James 2, verses 21 through 24. Let's read it again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. So uh, the the biblical story or the biblical account of Abram, Abraham, as he would become known, begins in Genesis, the 11th chapter. Uh, Let's go to uh, Genesis, the 12th chapter. We're not going to. Read a whole lot here. You can go back and read it all for yourself later. Uh, Abram, as he was called then, lived in Ur of Chaldea. And Ur was a thoroughly pagan and idolatrous city where they worshipped a multitude of different gods. And Abraham was a pagan. He was. Yet God, the one true God of creation, called Abraham, not according to any worth or redeeming value in Abraham, but solely by divine initiative, By God's sovereign purposes and choice, God made Abraham a promise. And what was that promise? Uh, Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God sovereignly chose Abraham out of paganism? Why why did God choose the Israelites? Was it because of their great value, of their great worth, that they were such a wonderful, great people? No. It wasn't for that at all. But He poured out His blessing upon him. And that's what He did here at the beginning of this with Abraham. And the Apostle Paul speaks of Abraham as our father in Romans 4 and writes this. So let's go to Romans 4, verses 9 through 13. And I hope we can see how that James and the Apostle Paul are hand in hand, but they're coming at a different side of things because they're dealing with different people and different circumstances. So here's Paul in Romans 4. Let's read 9 through 13. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? or upon the uncircumcised also? How are they going to answer that question? You know, they're sitting there, they're thinking about that. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. They're going to know who Abraham is, aren't they, the Jews? How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. God called him, let me pause there for a minute, God called and spoke to Abraham while he was a pagan, while he was still of the world, while he was yet uncircumcised. And Paul is pointing that out to the Jews. You can't hide behind your circumcision. And we'll we'll be talking about that in sermons to come. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision. It came later a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. So he had faith while he was yet uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, 
that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Do you see, I may pause there again, do you see how this would just be rubbing the Jews of the day the wrong way? Of what Paul is saying. Of what Paul is saying. Verse 12, And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He he is making it plain to the Jews of the day, wasn't he? How did Abraham receive the righteousness of faith? He heard the Lord and believed. Uh, Let's go to Genesis, now the uh, 15th chapter in the first six verses. After these things, the Lord... After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is an heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted to him, to Abraham, for righteousness. Abraham believed. Did this make Abraham perfect? No, 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 no. Not on this earth, no. Now, I believe Abraham was in a right standing before God. He had believed and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham was in a righteous standing before Almighty God, but he was still imperfect and sinful here on this earth. He lied, committed adultery, he sinned. And child of God, none of us are perfect either. We will be made perfect someday. But yet here we are prone to wonder. We are yet prone to sin. But our identity is in God. Is in God. And nothing and take that away. So God used Abraham and fulfilled a promise in giving Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac, the seed from which the lineage of Christ would come. Then we know that God tests Abraham. And you know the account of God asking Abraham to offer up his son on the altar. Uh, you know the story that it's in Genesis 22. Again, we're not going to read all of that today. You know the story. You can go back and refresh yourself on it if you haven't read it for a while. We will we will read verse 18, though. Genesis 22, verse 18. And God is saying, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Again, talking about Abraham heard the Lord. He believed. He heard the Lord, he obeyed. And it was accounted, it was reckoned to him for righteousness. Now let's go back and and reread that in the book of James, James 2, 21 through 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture has was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. See, James is saying that Abraham's faith was made evident by his willingness to offer up his son Isaac upon the altar. Abraham's faith was made evident by his works. Did Abraham receive his faith because of his works? No. No, but his faith was made evident. Is that clear? Have I said it enough? Because that's the point to be made today. And that's what the Lord has been telling me 
this week, make this point clear. Make it clear. Abraham received faith the same way as we do by God's sovereign grace, mercy, and love. Abraham heard God and believed. Again, was he perfect? No. But by faith, Abraham believed God to the point of offering up Isaac. And if we'll go into Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11th chapter, just read verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, And Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So it seems to me that Abraham such a, had such a faith in God that he was going to obey in killing his only son that God had given him because I believe that Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead even if he did such a thing. That's the faith that Abraham had. And James is saying that Abraham's faith was proven genuine by his obedience, by his works. Abraham's act of obedience was evidence of, I believe, true saving faith. Some would say, but but wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher, wait a minute. If we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, how was Abraham saved? Christ hadn't come yet. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? How do you answer that? Do you, do you have your answer? Well, well, here's your answer. So so write this down or have this ready if someone says that. How is people in the Old Testament saved? Same way we are. Well, how can that be? <laughs> well, listen, we, we're saved by grace through faith, all of us. Hebrews 11, verse 13. Talking of the heroes of the faith. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. God, in His miraculous revelation, revealed to them of what was yet to come. Did they, have, did they know clearly? No, they didn't know clearly, but yet they trusted. They trusted what the Lord was telling them. Galatians 3, verse 8. Now here's the one. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham. Now, it doesn't get much clearer than that, does it? Preached the gospel. To Abraham beforehand saying, and you all the nations shall be blessed. Because the where was the gospel coming from? Oh, it, it came through the lineage. It came through the lineage of where Christ would be born. And Abraham was a part of that. See, isn't that glorious? Preached the gospel to Abraham. So all the heroes of faith died before Christ, Christ came to the earth, but yet they believed God. And it's as though they could see the promises from afar. They died believing God would fulfill all His great and precious promises, even that of the gospel of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. They died in faith. Abraham died in faith, believing God. Now, let's look at Ahab or Rahab for just a moment. Uh, let's go back to James 2, verse 25. Verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Now, consider these two examples that, that James used. Could they be any different? Could they be, be at, at, at any further point on the spectrum? Abraham, a patriarch of the Jewish people, a friend of God, a great leader, and at the top of the social ladder, if you'd want to say that, and then Rahab. A woman, a prostitute in the middle of a Gentile nation, living among the enemies of God, a common citizen at the bottom of the social ladder. And you can read her story in, in uh, Joshua, the second chapter. And then uh, you can go over, you can keep reading through there, but uh, in Joshua, the sixth chapter, where the walls of Jericho fell. And remember, where, where was Rahab's house? Her home? Was in the wall. Was in the wall. So he, let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies 
with peace. She did not perish. What do you mean? Where was her home? It was in the wall. What happened to the walls of Jericho? They fell flat except for what? The place where Rahab's house was. There's a miracle of God. There's a miracle of God. Every, every other spot fell flat. Go back and you read that to your kids, the walls of Jericho, and read that of how uh, Rahab uh, was spared. Why? Why was she spared? Because she believed. She knew very little except for what she had heard of the people of God walking through, uh, of them walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. Uh, you know, how, how could anybody anywhere at that time have not have heard about that? Uh, I can't believe there'd be anyone hardly on the face of the earth that hadn't heard that. Uh, and, and of God's people being delivered from uh, foreign armies. But, but, but what she heard, she believed. And I believe that by divine mercy, she knew that Yahweh was God in heaven. And that she knew that judgment was coming to her and to the land in which she lived. She feared God and revered God. Was she perfect? Oh, no. Oh, no. No. Even in the account that we read, she lied. Didn't she? Are they here? Oh, no. But God saved her and included her in the lineage of Christ. How amazing is that? From the the genealogy of Matthew 1, we learn that Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law, Ruth the Moabite, who was grafted into the children of God, Ruth, who found favor with God and married Boaz, who was the son of Rahab and Salmon. And you could also say that she was the great-great-grandmother of King David, if you want to put it that way. Rahab, a Gentile harlot, included in the lineage of Jesus Christ our Lord. (laughs) That's grace, isn't it? That's mercy. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that Rahab is in there? (laughs) God Almighty, the Lord of all creation, took a prostitute and brought her into His family into the line that would lead to His Son. Is there anyone outside of the reaching arm of Christ? No. No one. As long as they have breath, there is still hope. There is still hope. Child of God, praise be to God that He reached down past our sins, (laughs) into our gross immorality, and saved us, extended His arm of mercy across our filthy sinfulness and brought us into His family. So, Abraham and Rahab, both example of true saving faith, and their faith was proven by their being stirred on to action and works Trusting God for the outcome. People may say, a harlot, a prostitute, how can a holy God, how can a holy God be just in including such people, Abram, the pagan, Rahab, the harlot, how can a holy God be just in doing such a thing? Well, here's how. Here's how. By pouring out the just wrath due our sin upon His Son. That's how. That's how. God is a just judge. The penalty for sin had to be paid and it was upon us. And God the Father punishes sin to the fullest extent and He justifies those who have true saving. Faith. Second Corinthians five verse twenty one. For he, God, made him, Jesus Christ his son, who knew no sin to be what? Sin. To be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans three, verse twenty three through twenty six. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, do you see by this point, 
In, in Romans third chapter, Paul is finally getting to the good news, isn't he? He's getting to the good news. There's the good news. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Let me pause there for a minute. Does that bring up uh, that that we read and talked about last week? That they despised, they had despised the forbearance of God, not knowing that it's that it's His tolerance and His forbearance that He hadn't wiped them off the face of the planet yet. He had looked over those sins until now. He hadn't judged them immediately. That's what He's still talking about here. Because of his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why? To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so there would be the question this morning, do you have faith in Jesus? Saving faith. The question I always ask, usually ask is, do you believe? And then we read that portion from Romans 10. We're going to read it again today. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Call upon him. Believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, receiving, repenting, turning from sin to faith, turning from unrighteous deeds and acts to works of righteousness, to fruit of righteousness. See, this was brought out last week. Kenny Kenny brought it out, and, and I'm glad he did. Because we don't want anyone to have the false idea, well, I believe. I believe. I'm okay. I believe. Well, if you believe, what's your works? What's your deeds? Remember, that's what we've been talking about today. The true saving faith will always, will always be followed by good works. So what's your life? You can't just say, well, I believe and then go live like the devil, which is what a lot of people are doing on this earth today. Oh, yeah, I I believe. Yeah, I've, I've, I've... I've got saving faith, but but what's the evidence? What's the evidence? See, it's quite one thing to say, I believe. Because what did James say? Even the demons believe and tremble. Because why do they tremble? Because they know where their final destination will be in the lake of fire. And they tremble. See, it's quite one thing to say, I believe. It's quite another thing to truly believe, to repent, to turn from sin and unrighteousness, to live a life striving to bear the fruit of repentance. What did Jesus say? You will know them by their fruits, by their actions, by their deeds, by their works. Let's read it. Matthew 7, verses 16 and 17. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Rhetorical question. No, of course they don't. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Fruit of righteousness or fruit of unrighteousness, that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in that judgment. I got this from Piper. And I thought this was very good in, in regard to what Jesus had just said in Matthew 7. The appearance of fruit does not make a tree a fruit tree, but rather it shows that it is a fruit tree. Think about it. 
The appearance of fruit does not make a tree a fruit tree, but rather it shows that it is a fruit tree. So a transformed life does not make a person a Christian, but a transformed life shows that a person is a Christian. We're not saved by works. That's not what makes us a Christian. Don't look at the works and say, oh, they're, they're a Christian. No, no, no. They may be. It is an evidence. A transformed life does not make a person a Christian, but a transformed life shows that a person is a Christian. Have you been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. And I pray that by the power of Your Spirit and the truth of Your Word that was read, not my ramblings, but Your Word that was read, that You have spoken to hearts and minds as they are listening. And I pray, Lord, that in the midst of hearing, that You will bring faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, by Your Word. And so, Father, I pray by a miracle of mercy and grace that only You can perform, that You would show mercy, that You would open eyes to see their sin, to let let us all know that of our own, we, oh, we're, we're not good. But we are all born under sin. And so Lord, reveal that. And then reveal, open eyes to see the rescue. To see the ransom. To see the propitiation. To see the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and His blood shed so that we might be redeemed as we believe and trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing, receiving, repenting, calling out to You, Lord. So Lord, perform a miracle of grace and mercy. And Lord, for us who are are yet uh, walking on this earth and are are Christians and and we know we have believed, Lord, may we use a sermon such as this to examine ourselves and to examine our works. Are, Are we... Following after lesser things. Are we listening to you and following after what the works that you have laid before us? Are, are, we, are we hearing and being prodded in a direction and then oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And then just follow after our own desires. So Father, stir us. Shake us. Help us all, Lord, to follow after what You would have for each of us as individuals. The good works that You have laid before each and every one of us who claim and are under the name of Jesus Christ. You have good works for us. And Lord, help us to see those when they arrive and arise. Help us to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Help us always to be ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us always be ready to give a word of encouragement to a brother and sister that may be struggling in in, uh, temptation or in sin or, or just in the weight of a trial. So Lord, help us to live for You because Christ has died for us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.